0: Hello and welcome to this, the second ever TENS International Podcast. After the success of the launch last week with Mark Lefford, we have the brilliant Jane Larson, who I believe, and will confirm no doubt, is the Executive Director of the Council of International Schools. She's speaking to me live from Holland. Say hello to Jane. Jane, hello.
1: Hi Ed, how are you doing?
0: Very well, thank you. Very well indeed. Um, Jane. Could you first of all tell our listeners a little bit about the work of the Council Council for International Schools? Um, We will then, for the sake of our listeners, um, go on to talk about the really pressing issue of safeguarding in international schools. But Jane, first of all, tell me about you and the CIS in about two minutes.
1: Great. I'm happy to do so. Well, the Council of International Schools, or CIS as we're better known, is a membership association. So what attracts schools and universities, both are members of CIS, to come together in one association? It's a shared commitment overall to high quality international education. But even more specifically, it's a commitment to developing global citizens. Uh, Schools and universities that join CIS want access to ideas and practices that help to foster The development of the qualities in children and young people that will help them succeed and thrive um, in the world today, no matter where their paths may take them.
2: Mm. So
1: we're incredibly diverse. Is probably the first point. We work with institutions in 116 countries, and the range of institutions we work with is also diverse. They're public, government-funded institutions, private groups, um, individual proprietary institutions, the full range. But what connects them again is that mobility piece that essentially we're talking about trying to guide and support young people and their families as they're moving around the world with their credentials and hopefully helping them figure out how to interpret, understand how they were prepared, how were they educated, What are their leaving credentials? How do I assess whether that makes them a good fit now when they leave secondary school and are ready to move on to university? Or is university the right path for them even so? So we have incredible uh, membership community of people who've dedicated their lives to supporting this unique group of highly mobile Uh, students um, and and helping them find their place in the world quite simply is what CIS does.
0: Is it it closed as in only its American schools or is it wider than
1: that? No absolutely not and um, that's a really good point Ed because CIS, well unlike a lot of international organizations, um, CIS does not receive funding from any one country nor do we sponsor or promote any one country's system of education. It's that intersection, if you will, of leading practices, no matter what country or system they came from. You know, what promotes the development of global citizenship and constitutes highly effective international education. So it's that shared commitment to quality, but also these ideals of global citizenship. Frequently, our board of trustees who are comprised of leaders from our school and university communities, they'll talk about, well, what's more important, high quality education or global citizenship? And consistently, we come back to know both. They really have to be held closely and work together. So again, and, it, and I think our members really understand that. They know that great things are happening around the world in education, and they want access to them. So if we weren't as diverse as we are, if we weren't connecting um, educators, ideas, and cultures, because there are different ways of doing things, that is the essence of how CIS helps institutions improve.
0: Fab, Jane, thank you. Um, One of the areas, key areas of work, as I alluded to earlier, um, and the reason you and I first met a few weeks ago, is your work as chair of the... International Task Force on Child Protection. Um, as I as I um, go on my travels around the world and around schools, I'm increasingly aware that safeguarding is, if not the number one priority, it's a very high priority for all schools, but especially international schools at the moment. Can you tell me a little bit about the work of the International Task Force, please?
1: Yes, I will. Um, well. It's pretty sad that we have to have a task force, but let's just, as you've pointed out, this is an area of challenge. Um, Where do I begin? Um, Uh Let me start by saying that child abuse is not new.
2: No.
1: It's a fact of human life. And I think fundamentally when you work in education, you're taking a job where it's your job to manage, behavior and to and to mitigate risk and the risk will always be there in education won't it because children are present and i never when i started my own career in education long ago or when i even started working in international education i like many educational colleagues probably never thought about the fact that there were people drawn to our profession for the wrong reasons. sure. And that's a sobering thought, and it isn't one that entered a lot of our minds until a terrible incident happened in 2013, when we found out that someone who worked in the international education community for 30 years had been systematically abusing young boys, hundreds of them,
2: mm-hmm. in
1: 10 mm-hmm. different countries. In each school that he had worked in. Now, I myself knew this person,
2: God.
1: and when I found out, uh, I was shocked. I mean, not only shocked. I think in that moment that I did find out or realized what the the allegations were. I, I don't think I. I think I sat down on the floor where I was standing in our office, and I started to cry, because all I could think about was his family, and, um, you know. So that shocking moment w- wasn't unique to me. It was because no. this person was well-known. There were a lot of us who had the same reaction. So we then came together at an international conference and we're kind of walking around shell-shocked, if you know what I mean. I can really imagine. Said, what are we gonna do about this? You, so many questions go through your mind. It's like, well, how, wh- what should I have known? Could yeah. I have done something? Yeah. You know, all of this. So we realized standing there, myself and my colleagues, that we had to educate ourselves.
2: Right. So
1: we made it our business from that day. We formed the task force. We said, well, you work together. And so a place, number of international organizations came together and said, we are going to reach out to other professions and bring experts in law enforcement, the medical community, um, yeah, legal profession, psychologists, educators, we're gonna all come together and figure out what is it we need to do to educate ourselves about the unique challenges of addressing child abuse in international education, particularly in light of the mobility uh, that occurs in our, in our schools.
0: And by mobility, you mean mobile teachers traveling across the country? Correct. <laughs> so what date are we on now, is this 2014?
1: This was so 2014 the task force formed.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and and what was what were its first steps? What concrete things can we see that's happened in the year in the years that followed?
1: So in the first year, our collective, well our charter, if you will, was to apply our collective knowledge and to work mm-hmm. across professions to help school communities address child protection challenges. Mm-hmm. And we realized early on by bringing in experts to, first of all, help us understand the extent of the problem, which we didn't realize, Mm -hmm. understand the behaviors of people who would abuse children. Mm -hmm. Once we gathered this information, we conducted a survey of 700, over 700 schools asking what are the biggest barriers to addressing child protection challenges and we started to learn more about what was stopping us from dealing with this effectively. For example- what were one first, Sorry? What were those
0: barriers, Jane?
1: The number one barrier was um, cultural difference. Okay. That we found that different communities have different ways of dealing with abuse. Well, first of all, no one likes to t- talk about it. No. Nope. Uncomfortable, so frequently it's hidden. And because of different norms that occur in different cultures for dealing with abuse, people had great difficulty in trying to understand um, how to report it, Mm -hmm. whether they Mm -hmm. believed. Um, That was the number one barrier cited by international schools. Secondly, it's generally people are nice people and want to assume assume the best about people. So there's under-reporting of quote-unquote low-level concerns, picking up on patterns of behavior, and then there was a complete lack of policies and procedures to help guide people for how to help people understand what inappropriate behavior is Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in, in a safe but caring way. So we organized ourselves into three groups. Mm -hmm. We said, first of all, we need to understand what kind of policies and procedures we need to put in place. We need to understand better how to safely recruit staff to come into our, our school communities. And thirdly, we knew that nothing would happen if it weren't measured in some way. So we called on every single agency that either accredits or inspects international schools and asked them to come together as well. Okay. So those were the three working committees that started over the next three years, 2014, 2016, to address those three areas of development.
0: So if I'm a, if I'm a head teacher or a principal in a school in Southeast Asia, say, um, and, I, and I turn to the work of the International Task Force now, what would, what would be the benefits of me looking to you guys?
1: Well, we've learned a lot.
2: Yeah, is it something I can use?
1: Yes. And so from a practical standpoint, the first thing we did when we came up, those three committees came up with stronger standards for accreditation and inspection, better recruiting policies and guidelines, and a set of basic policies and procedures. We knew we needed a home for this information. Mm also knew that we didn't want it locked up behind different membership gates of all the different membership associations in international education so we looked to find a home and we found it at the international center for missing and exploited children or icmec as they're known and through a benefactor and a grant from the u.s government we were able to set up an education portal open source so any school Any educator in any country around the world can log in, go to the ICMEC site, type in education portal, and there you have all the resources ready for anyone's use.
0: So let's talk about about the challenge of mobility, as you call it, and by which we're talking about the fact that this is a very mobile, very fluid workforce with teachers traveling the world, working a couple of years here, a couple of years there. This is a massive challenge for schools, isn't it? Um, So if they go on this education portal or they come to you, Jane, and say, um, how do I deal with this, Jane? What's your response?
1: Frequently, we find many um, people are overwhelmed. Um, For example, um, it is very useful. My first advice is if you're a school leader or anyone in a school community to bring together people from multiple roles in the community and outside the community to talk about it. Mm -hmm. and figure out how to build capacity in your school. And I think secondly, for school leaders, it can be very useful to first of all, start looking at a code of conduct. Start with some of the basics. Mm -hmm. What kind of behavior do we expect um, for people who are in our community? Not just for, for us as educational leaders or teachers or counselors, but for parents and for students that everyone has a responsibility to protect children. So by going to the education portal, hopefully it's organized in a very useful way to find those basic building blocks, if you will, starting with a code of conduct. So my first piece of advice is, does everyone in your school community ask them, have a shared definition of what child abuse is, and if it occurs in our community, how we're going to address it? That's a very important and fundamental conversation to have as a starting point. And then once you have that conversation with all of your school stakeholders, then you can start going about developing some codes of conduct that everyone understands, including the students, to understand what will happen if someone exhibits inappropriate behavior and how it's going to be dealt with.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And in in terms of school leadership, um, if I'm recruiting this year, say, I need two maths teachers, a chemistry teacher, a PE teacher, uh, and a gamut of others. Um, what advice would you give those uh, principles in terms of ensuring that safeguarding protocols are followed?
1: There's some really good advice coming together um, through the task force and other sources about how to recruit internationally in a more effective way. Yeah. Um, first of all, I'm sure no surprise to you, there's a huge variation in practices. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, so the first thing that one of those committees did was put together a basic framework of guidelines. Now, you'll find those guidelines for recruiting on the ICMEC education portal, but the second thing is people need training in mm-hmm. terms of how to action those guidelines, specifically in terms of reference checking
2: yeah.
1: and um, interviewing. And um, that is something that everyone needs training
0: to do. Do you feel, um, do you feel like the message um, is now getting through? You know, a few years ago, if you'd asked certainly someone in Britain about the international education scene, they would have described it as a, a Wild West. It was kind of out there. No one knew what was going on. Teachers would go overseas and then disappear. Um, do you feel um, like your message, especially with the subject of safeguarding, is really now landing in schools and there is more structure around it. And if I was, uh, if I was to take my family overseas, I could be confident uh, that the schools will be organized in a way that I would be happy
2: with.
1: Yeah, I guess my advice and your question was for school leaders. Once you start looking at the, um, the new standards that, that all we all have expectations for schools to improve their practices, And, you know, when we were implementing through these accreditation and inspection agency, the new standards, we knew our schools wouldn't meet them. We knew they wouldn't. But at the same time, we all realized we had a moral, ethical obligation to help them understand what those standards would be and how to improve. And there's a whole range of organizations that are now developing products, services, training, tools to help schools improve. Mm-hmm. And so the information is out there. My first piece of advice, I guess, going back to your question about where do you start so you don't feel overwhelmed. Yeah, You can easily identify there are some easy steps you can take generally. Break it down into things you can do right away that are actionable. And I guess, by the way, my advice would be, this is not something to be delegated. So when you ask me, okay. is there a greater level of awareness, I would say, Yes, because we're, I'm still seeing this as something that school leaders are delegating to their staff to do. And I would recommend that they all go through training with their staff to understand what the challenges are so mm-hmm. they can better grasp how to start building effective practice um, in their own community.
0: So lead from the front. This, exactly. this is the responsibility of you as the school leader, right?
1: visible leadership, and there have been some schools that have actually commissioned workshops, had their professional development day for staff, participated in it with every single person. And by the way, that includes the support staff, not just the educators, because everyone has a shared responsibility. And right now, what we're also trying to do is to create better training that's applicable for people working um, in the local community, who have moved to the community from abroad, different languages, again, different cultural frameworks, different levels of literacy and understanding. um, Because even frankly, sometimes it's the carers, um, the people intersecting with children every day who who may know them best or may be trusted a lot. Mm -hmm. I, I especially young children, the bus driver, the gardener, the the driver, you know, all the people that, that can interact um, quite often in international communities in the daily life of a child, and to do an exercise and think about everyone who comes into contact with children, and then you have your circle of who needs to be trained and educated.
0: No, it sounds, uh, it sounds really, uh, really valid. Um, the, going back to the work of the International Task Force itself, so you had this sort of moment of clarity in 2013, The groups came together in 2014. The name, the very nature of the name, the task force, makes it sound like it has a defined period of a life cycle that it will come to an end. Is there a moment when you will look up and say to your colleagues on the international task force, our work here is done, or is it ongoing?
1: We've just asked ourselves that question, Ed. Um, This year, um, the task force is now formed five new committees to move forward and build on the work of those original um, objectives, to go further, to further strengthen standards um, for accreditation and inspection, to look at school culture overall, mm-hmm. as we've mm-hmm. talked about, how things are done in a school community, what type of behavior is accepted or not, that leading from the front, if you will, that visible leadership piece. Then the training, the education training and policy piece, what actually, how are we training people and how are we educating children? And then the, um, the whole um, important, very important piece of student voice. What actually do young people have to say about this and how are we taking their own um, needs, fears, desires and realities you know, into consideration as we develop procedures for them. So working with all these different committees together, we're trying to now create even better resources um, to help educate and train school communities. So will our work be done? Um, the, the final committee who is, who is looking at that question, really our whole identity and response And I think we really, I think clearly see ourselves as a coalition. You know, we don't have staff. We don't have employees or a budget. We don't even have a website. What we do have is over 90 volunteers from multiple disciplines and professions who all want to work together on this issue and are committed to doing a better job educating people on what to do to strengthen practice. So um, we will at some point. Ask ourselves, you know, whether we need to become more firmly ingrained as an identity or whether we're happy, for example, that all of our work products will be at the ICMEC site and be accessible to people with. And by the way, they have a great full time curator um, to help people access those resources and, and learn how to use them.
0: Because I, I, I guess and this is a, a terribly sad thing to say, but the problem is constantly evolving, isn't it? Where, you know the very nature of you and I are on a conference school. The Internet is changing and evolving constantly. The problem in the school or on the edges of school is evolving
2: all the time.
1: Yeah, we focused at our last task force meeting just uh, last month on the growing number of images uh, online of, of a child abuse, which is disturbing. And Now, quite a few of those images are actually um, self-generated. You know, we're all well aware of. You know, once you give digital devices to young people, they're going to do different things with them, aren't they? So, and uh, their lives. Um, you know, their lives occur online and and in person, and we have to help them navigate both. And and so, I think we've realized that probably our fallback position is to really strengthen the ability of young people to help them understand and deal with the tremendous amount of, of contact and information that, that they're encountering on their phones and in the digital world. So we've made a big commitment to do that, and uh, that's certainly a challenge for the police. For law enforcement, it's overwhelming almost, and I think that we're we're now trying to work a lot with them in terms of looking even at the laws. and and how we can work together more effectively to, um, to manage the content and the sheer volume of this, this material.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Listen, Jane, I think I've taken up enough of your time. Um, I think it would be a service to our listeners if you could just give us um, the uh, website address, the URL of the ICMEC site one more time.
1: Yep. Yep, it's www.icmac.org, and that's I C M education educationportal You can also just Google it by typing in ICMEC and education portal, and you're immediately going to have access to an incredible resource bank.
0: Fabulous, Jane. Thank you so much for your time, um, and thank you on behalf of Ted. And thank you for being our second ever guest. You're welcome.